0: Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 23.
1: We have come to the place in Luke 23 and verse 39 today where Jesus is now on the cross. We saw last week the soldiers were gambling as if it was just any other day on the job. The common people were spectating, doing nothing to stop this wrong. Religious leaders and the soldiers were mocking Jesus as if he wasn't who he really was. But there's one more group here with Jesus that we haven't mentioned, and it's the other two criminals who are crucified next to him. They have something to say to Jesus as well. And in this exchange, we will see Jesus change a person for eternity. It says, "In one of the male factors, the criminals, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not Fear God, seeing you are in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Good verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, I don't know how many times he had to rebuke his partner in crime before he finally turns to Jesus. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, Krios, master, boss, the one who's in charge, not my will, but what I ask is that you would remember me when you come into your kingdom. The word remember here is similar to where the Bible talks about how God remembered Noah. It's not that... You know, the flood came and Noah's floating in his boat and the Lord's up there playing chess with Gabriel and and Gabriel's like, hey, uh, Lord, you know, have you thought about what you're going to do with Noah? And he's like, oh, Noah, I forgot, man, Ah, the Lord remembered Noah. That's not what it means when the Lord remembered Noah. The word remember here, it means to recall information about someone and then to respond in an appropriate manner. So the idea is, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, when this situation, your situation is different, he says, please remember my attitude here and respond accordingly. That's pretty crazy when you think about this guy saying, when you come into your kingdom. How does a guy who's going to be dead in just a few hours come into a kingdom? He's going to be dead. There's so much faith in in this verse here. Of this just one request that this guy makes to Jesus. First off, he declares, you're the boss, not me. He calls him Lord. Secondly, he says, you're the Messiah, fully capable of being king right now, but you've chosen not to do that yet. I I believe that. So when you come into your kingdom, when you do decide to take up that sovereign role, the word there, coming into your kingdom, means when you take on your royal power, when you take on the sovereign power that's rightfully yours, which means, by the way, Jesus would have to come back from the dead. That's what he's declaring here. When you come back from the dead and when you take up your throne, please remember that my trust is in you. That I'm believing you're my only hope. Both confess that Jesus is the Messiah, but only one of them trusts the Lord. And so while Jesus does not reply to the first man, he does reply to this man's request in verse 43. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, The word verily is a phrase of strong affirmation. It means, don't doubt what I'm about to say to you for even a moment. Today, you shall be with me in paradise. The word here, paradise, it's not an original Greek word, not an original Hebrew word. It's a loner word from Persian. The Persians used it to describe a park surrounded by a wall. The Greek translation of the Old Testament used it to describe the Garden of Eden, the millennial kingdom age where Messiah is ruling and reigning, or to describe heaven. In the New Testament, it is always used to describe heaven. Today, you'll be with me in heaven. Jesus' response here is so important for two reasons. First, theological. Second, personal. So let's look at the theological implications of Jesus' response here. Number one, this, this guy is a criminal who, by his own admission, deserves his execution. So that means all of this guy's conversion experience occurs on the cross, right? He's a criminal who deserves his execution. So all of his conversion experience occurs right here on the cross. Now, The other gospel writers mention that when they were first crucified, when they're first all nailed to the cross, he is also blasting Jesus. He is right there with his partner in crime, blasting Jesus as well. So for him to all of a sudden say, do you not fear God, seeing you in the same condemnation, at some point he changed his thinking. At some point he stopped being that unrepentant criminal And he repented. Now that's a fancy word that we throw out at church a lot. What does it mean? The word repent, it simply means to change the mind. And it is essential to placing my faith in Christ. For to trust Christ for righteousness, I must stop trusting in my own righteousness. Turn to Romans chapter 10 with me. Paul, as he is giving his great teaching on salvation in this letter to the Romans, comes to a place where he has to address this issue of Israel being in unbelief. And so in chapter 9, he begins to address that topic after he lays out the theology of salvation in the first eight chapters. In chapter 9, he addresses this issue of God's people now being in unbelief. And he explains that the reason they're in unbelief isn't because God failed, but it's because they have rejected God's path for righteousness. And so he says in chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to truth. It's not according to knowledge. Well, how is that so? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, because they're doing that they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness that comes from God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. So this idea, the reason that they were in this state, that most Jews back then were in unbelief, even though they were God's chosen people, even though God had given them precious promises, is because they had rejected God's righteousness and were seeking to establish their own righteousness. And if you're going to come to Christ, faith in Christ, you have to leave that behind. This is where repentance comes in. Repentance, it means that I leave behind this idea that I'm good. When I change my mind, it's not just about saying I believe in Jesus, because the other criminal believed Jesus was the Messiah. In James chapter 2, verse 19, James challenges his listeners and he says to them, listen, you say you believe? Great. The devils believe and they do a, a better step. They tremble. But the demons aren't going to heaven. Faith. Faith is not intellectually assenting to the idea, correct idea of who Jesus is. You can intellectually assent to the correct idea of who Jesus is and still be lost. Faith, the word means... In, in the Bible, it means to trust, to place one's reliance upon. So what exactly am I supposed to trust Jesus for? Well, still here in Romans 10, look at verses 9 and 10. This is the word of faith which Paul preached. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. The word confession is the word homologio in the Greek. It means to say the same thing. So when I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, I am saying the same thing that God says about his Son. So what does God say about his son? Well, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, I can't display the attitude that this other guy is displaying here where I'm trying to get Jesus to listen to me. Do you understand the difference? Here's this guy comes and he demands that Jesus rescue him because he's one of the good guys. I've earned this, God. I'm a good guy. I shouldn't be dying on this cross. I should be out there free enjoying my life, living my life, because I've lived a good life. That is not confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And that's why his buddy asks him, don't you fear God? We deserve to be here. We have done wrong. See, when I place my faith in Christ, it means I stop believing I'm a good person And I start trusting that Jesus alone can rescue me from my sin and the judgment it has earned me. And that's exactly what this other criminal does. In Romans 10, 9, he confesses with his mouth, Lord Jesus, Lord, remember me. Please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And because he does that, Jesus tells him he's saved. He says, you're going to be with me in heaven. Now that has fascinating theological implications. This means baptism doesn't save us. means the sacraments don't save us. The church doesn't save us. A preacher doesn't save us. But faith in Christ alone is what saves us. Amen? That's it. That's it. This guy had no opportunity to do any other things here. But he confessed Jesus as his Lord. Believed that God was going to raise him from the dead. Put all his hope in Christ. And the Bible says he's, Jesus turned to him and said, you're going to be with me in paradise today. That's all you had to do. Humble yourself because he gives more grace. Now, should I get baptized? Yes. Should I go to church? Yes. Should I obey God? Yes. But not to get saved. I should do those things because I am saved. And there's a big difference there. A very big difference. Don't let anyone ever tell you that salvation is faith in Jesus plus something else. Because being right with God comes from trusting Christ alone, period. When I share this, inevitably someone will say to me, so you're saying I can be a decent human being my entire life, but never trust Jesus and I'll go to hell. But an awful human being can repent and trust Jesus as they're dying and they'll go to heaven. And my wholehearted answer to you without any doubt and any restraint is yes. You have got it exactly right right and your question shows your problem See, you still believe you're good the bible says therefore that god will resist you for god resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble the fear of the lord hates pride but you love it and so while your sin is acceptable to you it is not acceptable to god And therefore, until you recognize it, you will continue to be lost, even though you fit the description of a decent human being. What Jesus says here is important for theological reasons. It is also very important for personal reasons. Because this guy is in heaven right now. His life was an awful train wreck. But when he breathed his last here, he took his first breath in heaven. And that means whatever you and I have done, no matter how long we've done it, Jesus not just can rescue us and rescue you, but he wants to rescue you. And I ask you this morning, do you believe that? I think one of the biggest lies the enemy throws our way after we give our lives to Christ is... He gives us this impression that the Lord will cast us off when we blow it, that he'll be done with us because we've blown it too many times. But the Bible says that if he received us while we were his enemy, how much more will he work in our lives now that we're his son or his daughter? Awkward paraphrase of Romans 8. How much more will he rescue us in the future now that we're his child? That's biblical truth, even if it seems to run counter to our logic. If he can love and save this man, then he loves and he wants to save you too. Amen? Luke 23, we move to verse 44 now, and it says, And it was about the sixth hour, about noon, And all of a sudden, things started to change. There was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. It doesn't mean the entire planet. The word there, earth, refers to the land of Judea. Basically, these storm clouds began to roll in, blocking out the sun. This lasted for three hours. And Most commentators believe this was the time that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Therefore, this was the time Jesus experienced the wrath we deserve for our sin. Luke simply summarizes those three hours and then gives us the results, verse 45. And the sun was darkened. The storm clouds block out the sun. And the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. It was torn in two. This is the inner curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies. It was 45 feet high and four inches thick. The only people with access to this curtain were the priests. But to make sure no one would mistake and think a person ripped it, even if they could. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one tells us it was ripped from top to bottom, from 45 feet high to the bottom. God the Father tore that curtain once Jesus finished paying for all of our sin. Why? Well, the Holy of Holies, it contained the Ark of the Covenant, God's throne, and His presence amongst His people. That curtain existed to keep man safe from his perfection. No one could go in there. Only once the Day of Atonement, the high priest would bring the offering of the Day of Atonement. Other than that, no one went in there because no one was worthy. God gave it for our protection. That God tears the veil now means that we no longer have to stay away. Because Jesus went into the Holy of Holies in heaven with the ultimate payment for our sin, His own blood. Our sins can be completely washed away, and now God welcomes us to come close. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says to us, seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession of faith. Let's keep on keeping on. For we have not a high priest who can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore now come boldly unto the throne of grace into the Holy of Holies that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Hebrews ten nineteen says, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. It says, let us draw near, verse 22, with a true heart in full assurance of faith because we've had our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. God says, come on in. Your conscience has been wiped clean. Your hearts have been sprinkled with pure water. As the writer in Song of Solomon so eloquently put it, you are all fair, my love. There is no spot in you. Come near. Come close. Don't stay away. Isn't that awesome? Well, once that was accomplished, Jesus had no reason to stay on the cross any longer And a verse 46 when jesus had cried with a loud voice it is finished that's what he cried with a loud voice when he did that he said father into your hands i commend my spirit and having said thus he gave up the ghost king james says it means he breathed his last he said father into your hands i entrust i set before you my spirit the eternal part of me the innermost part of me the part of me that goes on even after the body expires I trust you with it and then he breathed his last he died you know what I love here about Jesus because there isn't any fear in his approaching death only complete trust this is the place God wants to bring you and me especially when we're facing death a place where we say Lord into your hands I commit My whole life, I trust you with it completely, no matter what. To the end, Jesus trusted and obeyed his Father completely. He is indeed the perfect man succeeding in every area that we have failed, even in his death. Now, the Roman soldiers were used to seeing criminals die, but none of those criminals died like this. Jesus' death had a profound impact upon their commanding officer. Now, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. Centurion is a captain over a hundred men, so this is the officer in charge of the soldiers performing the crucifixion. And so, when he saw what was done, the word there refers to the entire process of the crucifixion, all of it. Includes the entire process of the crucifixion, Jesus' words, the miraculous darkness. And when that was all finished, he said, it says he glorified God. He rendered high value to God, saying, certainly this man was a righteous man. Luke records this to show that the consistent testimony of all authority figures was Jesus' righteousness. Why was that important? Because only a perfectly righteous person could take our place of judgment. Only then could our sins be paid for and our forgiveness made possible. Only then could God live inside of us, conquering sin practically in our lives. And so, it is true. He was raised to prove our justification. He was raised for our justification to show that God accepted the sacrifice of His Son, that we could be saved. We could be made righteous. Now, once it was over, all the people that came together... To that sight, all the common people who were spectating this event. It says, when they beheld the things that were done, they smote their breasts and returned. The word to smote your breast it's a symbol of repentance or contrition. They're saying, we should have done something. We shouldn't have just stood by. And so then they go home feeling like failures. Well, the common people felt like failures. To Jesus, Jesus' most loyal followers especially felt like failures. For it says, and all his acquaintance, they went home too, beating their breast. The word all his acquaintance means all his friends. This includes the disciples and the women that followed him, the women on his ministry team. For they had stood afar off. The phrase there, stood afar off, is pluperfect, which means they had stood afar off. doesn't mean they stood afar off now. For they had stood afar off just watching, beholding these things. They watched, but did nothing. And so eventually they leave too. The disciples back to the upper room, the women to prepare his body for burial. Everyone left feeling like it was over. None of them realized that Jesus had won. None of them realized what Jesus had done. And you know, if you look at yourself closely enough, it's easy to walk around feeling like a failure. There's ample evidence for it. But never forget that Jesus won. Amen? Never forget that he defeated sin, that he defeated the enemy, he defeated the world, and soon he would defeat death. And Jesus didn't die so we'd walk around feeling like losers. He died so we could come close to find the help we need to be rescued. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly. To get my eyes off myself by remembering His love for me and remembering His victory on the cross. If you're here today, guys are going to pass out the communion elements now. We're going to sing a song and If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, can I please urge you to change that today, to repent like this criminal did? You may not be thinking you're breathing your last, but the truth is no next breath is promised to you. Tomorrow's not promised to you. Later today's not promised to you. And the Bible says that all that waits for us after we do breathe our last here is judgment. And if you know the Lord, then that judgment's easy, because your name's written in the book of life. But if you don't know the Lord, then it's over. Don't let it be over. If you don't know the Lord today, as we sing that song and the communion elements are passed out, give your life to Christ. What does that mean to give your life to Christ? It, it means you recognize that He is Lord, and you're not. It means you confess that you're not a good person, that you don't deserve heaven, but you believe He died for you paid the penalty for you and you receive his offering for you. You place all your trust, all your reliance upon him. It means you repent and you surrender your life to him. And when you do that, the Bible says you'll be saved. So Lord, we dedicate this time of remembrance to you right now to remember your love for us, Lord, to reconfess, Lord, that we're not worthy of you. But Lord, you by your cross have made us worthy. We place all of our hope and all of our rest in that, Lord, that you're the king, that your kingdom's coming, and we want you to remember us and our trust in you and that alone today and in that day. So we give ourselves to you now in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at four zero seven five two three zero eight zero zero during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.